So I'm really looking forward to taking a few minutes to look at a passage in God's Word. It's, it, we won't read it all, but it's going to be in Romans 7, verses 7 to 25. It's what I'm allocated. I probably won't read them all. Romans 7, verses 7 to 25, and it's the last of our current series on hope for a culture in crisis. I say current because there's a break. It's throughout January, isn't it, Steve, where we're doing another subject, but we are coming back to look at Romans 8 uh, and sort of finish off there over a few weeks later on in February and March. So um, I think that will be good, and I think it's a, a good plan that Steve's devised. But this is actually the end of our sort of initial run uh, at Hope for a Culture in Crisis at the early chapters of Romans. Now, in actual fact, this passage today, Romans 7 and 7 to 25, is actually quite a difficult passage. Uh, it's considered quite difficult. So this is a bit, going to be a bit more chewy this morning, but I trust that it is not like a bit of dry, cold turkey, which I rather foolishly decided to clear up yesterday when we're having this family meal, and Marion warned me, and everybody, now I'm the only one, no, no, don't want to waste it, but after a few mouthfuls, it all went in the bin. (laughs) Chewy leftover turkey wasn't that great, cold with a jacket potato, no, it didn't work yesterday for me anyway, but I joined what everybody else was having, but I trust it's not going to be like that, I trust it'll be much more, I hope, more like a beautifully cooked bit of sirloin steak, beautifully seasoned, just right, with lots of juices. So I pray that's how it will be, because it is quite a challenging passage. And actually, it's caused discussion, or arguments, frankly, but not always uh, more discussion, I think, debate amongst Christians almost throughout church history. And if that, I hope that fascinates you a bit, because I want to talk about that in a moment. Actually, I'm going to read Romans 7, verses 14 through to the first few verses of chapter 8, because I think that gives the flow, which will help me to, to, I hope, give you something to healthily chew on out of this morning. And uh, to be honest, in the original, there weren't the chapters and verses. You all probably know that. Those aren't particularly inspired. This was one piece of writing, and they're helpful for finding things, but they're not always the most helpful for getting the flow. So I'm going to read from verse 14 of chapter 7 through to verse 4, I think it is, of chapter 8. So, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, it's sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh." For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is sin that lives in me. So I discover this law that when I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self I delight in God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, as I said, this is considered, and I think you'll re re realize why, quite a difficult passage, and it's hard to quite get what's going on here. And the key questions that have probably caused consternation, discussion, and confusion sometimes amongst Christians are these. Is Paul, the writer, the Apostle Paul, describing his own experience? Is this his testimony that we're reading? And is he describing his experience before he was a Christian, pre-conversion, or is he describing his experience after he was a Christian, post-conversion, after he's put his faith in Jesus and become a follower of Jesus? And there are problems with all the answers. And I find that fascinating and provoking. And if you're a Christian for any length of time, you've tried to read this passage you probably will have tussled with the same thing. If you understand your Bible and you've been listening to Romans and what we've been teaching, there are clearly problems with like any of the answers almost to those questions. Because if Paul is describing his personal experience at the time of writing this amazing book, he seems very troubled and confused in what I've just read to you. And this is the man who's writing the magnificent stuff that we've read already in Romans 6 and will read in Romans 8 and can read and perhaps have in Ephesians and Colossians, how is this guy in such a mess that he appears to be internal conflict that we've just read? But if it is his pre-conversion experience, which it possibly could be, his situation before he became a Christian when he was a legalist, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, some of it doesn't fit with that because he talks about a strong inner desire to obey God and to follow Christ. Then if he is describing his post-conversion experience after he's become a follower of Jesus and a Christian, how does that fit with what he writes in Romans 6 and 8 where the normal Christian life is portrayed much more positively and much more victoriously than you read here? Now, if you didn't have a problem, I hope you've got a problem now. Because it is a real problem. If you're thinking about it and reading it, what exactly is going on here? Who is speaking and what is he speaking about? What's the answer to these dilemmas? Well, there are answers, I believe, and I will quickly tell you what I think they are. One is, and it's a very simple one, but you, I wouldn't naturally know it unless I read about it, the whole style of writing is called dialogical. That is, he writes like a dialogue. He writes like one person speaking to another person. Now, he does that quite a lot in Romans. And it was a style of writing at the time. And it, you, you tended to present a case, then you put someone's counter-argument, and then you resolved it with the truth. And so that is a sort of style of writing. And actually, it's unlikely that this is a personal testimony in the sense of, Paul bearing his heart as perhaps his very 21st century, it's more a little bit like he's going through arguments about the law and sin. However, 
I would say, and I think most commentators would agree, what he is writing is rooted in personal experience. Because there's something that is very real about the conflicts and the inner turmoil that he reflects. So I think there is personal information, personal um, experience that has informed what he's writing. But it is a style of writing. It isn't necessarily what we would believe, as, as I recognise as sort of personal testimony uh, as such. And also, to really understand what's going on in Romans 7, you do need to remember the bigger picture of Romans, which is always a good thing to do when you read the Bible. And this chapter, as it's a chapter in our Bibles, sits at the end of quite a long period, what we call Romans 1 to 6, where Paul has been showing the weakness of the law. In fact, he's had quite a negative approach to the law, correctly so. And he's shown that the law has not got the power to save us or sanctify us. If you could just, thank you, put that up. That summary, the law cannot save us or sanctify us. Now that's quite important because that's the background to what he's trying to explain. You will never be saved from your sin and from the judgment of God by trying to obey God's law or any law. You won't. And another angle, which is just as important for many of us, is as a Christian, you will not be sanctified by law. You don't start the Christian life by grace and trusting in God's work, and then you lead the Christian life by your own effort, by following rules and laws. Sanctify would be Bible terms for holiness, for being more what you should be, living like Jesus. And the law won't help you to do that not in any effective way it won't save you and it won't sanctify you and actually Paul is developing a line of argument that's going to more come to fruit in chapter 8 so make sure you're around when we're looking at chapter 8 because Romans 8 is where we should be living it's where the Holy Spirit wants you to live as a Christian and me here's John Stott putting it very very simply and it's a good way, it's good to read his word there. He's an older Anglican, um, beautiful Bible teacher. It's, it's gone to glory some years ago. If we're looking for a description of the normal Christian life, we will find it in Romans 8. Romans 7 is not supposed to be your normal Christian life. Forever in conflict, forever, oh no, I try to do good things, I never manage it, I do... Now, some of you are going to say, well, I, feel a bit like, I can feel a bit like that. We've got a bit more work to do. We haven't finished yet. But Romans 7 is not where we live. Romans 7 is not where we stay. We begin to burst out of it with the verse which says, but thanks be to God. So I'm, I've gone through all that conflict, but Jesus has come. And then 8 begins to unpack what Jesus has done for us, which is so important. So that's a helpful thing to remember. The fact is, in my opinion, and I'm not alone, but it is a disputed thing. In my opinion, what is going on in Romans 7 applies to both pre- and post-conversion. It can, because it is about someone tussling with the law approach to life where that's all they've got. And it's really about what the law and sin do in our lives. It's about the battle of law and sin. It's about the real gritty reality of 
us as human beings trying to tussle with our humanity and its weaknesses in the light of any law and where it takes us. Because the gospel is a totally different sort of answer. It comes through the work of Jesus on the cross and a resurrection and then, very importantly, the sending of the Holy Spirit. And we live a life in the Spirit, not under law. And we'll get there before the end this morning. But that's very important to understand. If you think you can save yourself by obeying God's law or any set of rules for good living, then you will end up basically feeling like the man in Romans 7. In terrible condemned turmoil that you just can't do what you know you should do. Think of the Ten Commandments. You think you can save yourself by obeying the Ten Commandments. You're going to end up feeling like this guy in Romans 7. But I would argue, and I think it's a good case for it, if you try to live the Christian life by following rules and laws, you will also end up like the person in Romans 7. The Romans 7 issue is the issue of law dealing with sin, or perhaps, shall we say, not dealing with it in a person's life. That's the nub of what's going on. The man in Romans 7 is trying to live by the law. He wants to get it right. He wants to please God. He wants to get right with God, but he finds he's too weak in himself. His own self, his own humanness, which is what comes out, won't help him or allow him to. And as a result, and this is so real, I think, in people's lives, I honestly do. It can be real for you when you're a good intended, well-meaning person trying to be a Christian by law, trying to become right with God, or as a Christian trying to live. The, the danger is you end up either condemned yourself, which is, I'm just useless, I'm condemned, I'm rubbish, which is sort of where this guy ends, or you end up condemning God and his law. Say, it's unreasonable, it's not possible to live like that, it's a load of rubbish, I can't do it. That's where the law takes you, into one of those two places. You condemn God, if you like, or condemn yourself. And that is honestly what happens if you are at all thoughtful about it and you're still trying to live by law. Now, the honest truth is that we all can experience, as Christians, I'm talking about myself as well, we can experience times when we feel a bit like the guy in Romans 7. And so I'm just going to read a bit of it again from Peterson's message version, which is contemporary English. And I think it makes it a little more vivid. And I just say to all of us here, everyone in the room, have you felt like this in the last year? Have you felt like this in the last week? Just think about it. Have I felt like this in the last week? I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes. I'm full of myself. After all, I spend a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's commands are necessary. But I need something more. 
For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realise I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something's gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly, it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? I felt like that. Have you felt like that? I felt like that at times. As I say, maybe you have even in the last week. Oh, no, I've done it again. I didn't want to lose my temper. I didn't want to watch that porn that I've determined not to. I didn't want to lie again to get myself out of trouble because I was frightened of what people would say. I didn't want to get drunk again. I didn't want to gossip and be undermining people and rude. I didn't want that third cream cake. I know I shouldn't have it. I don't, I, perhaps that's not the best thing to say after Christmas week. But have you not felt something of that conflict? Of course you have. If you're real and honest with yourself. Now, you see, it's important to understand that there is a real intention. We want to get it right, and that's great. But if we don't get the way it all works right, we just stay in that spiral. Because if you think the answer is more law, more rules, more discipline rules, and of course we'll all be trying to go at that from January onwards. The whole, already the newspapers are through. Full, the one I bought yesterday has got diets already. You think, oh goodness, here we go. Yeah, and exercise regimes and everything else. So we're going to try and try harder and obey law to do it. But you see, all the law can do is help define sin. It can't defeat sin. If we could just pop up the next one, the one you put in. Thank you very much. The law can define sin, but it cannot defeat sin. So law does help you to see what's wrong, and it can give a bit of direction for the right direction, but there's no power in it to help you go in the right direction. And actually, law can sometimes arouse sin. It can provoke sin. I thought, I listened to Steve preaching on the first verses of Romans 7, and I thought he gave a great example of that last point, arousing sin. When he was five, I think he said, and his mum told him, when you go out over the river, she told him, make sure you use the bridge, not the stepping stones. And the little five-year-old Steve, who probably didn't even know there were stepping stones, oh, stepping stones, I wonder where they are. And so the effect of that was that he actually found the stepping stones and used them and got soaked, came back, and then when his mum said, did you use the stepping stones, lied and said no. That is an example of sin. The law, he was probably going to use the bridge until his mum said, make sure it's the bridge, not the stepping stones. Oh, the stepping stones. Then we're on the stepping stones, then we're wet, then we lie and say we didn't use the stepping stones. So the law, so what's the problem? The problem's in me, it was in Steve. It's nothing wrong. His mum was perfectly sensible, good law, very wise, keep the bridge. And all it did was 
define where the problem was and help, in his case, and he's not alone, help lead him to the option of doing the wrong thing. And actually, that is so true to life. That law doesn't solve sin. Now, all of us have got this thing that the Bible calls flesh, which is one of the reasons I use this translation. It says about flesh. Now, some, some translations say sinful nature. Just by the way, people sometimes ask, why do you use ESV sometimes? I think ESV is a very accurate translation, English Standard Version. The NIV, which lots of you use and I normally use, is quite um, sort of, it's good, but it's quite, some, a few corners are cut to get it more accessible to people. That's fine. All translators do it a bit. But on this subject, I like to keep the word flesh, which is an accurate translation of the original, because flesh is actually our humanity, our humanness, our flawed human nature. And so we get this in Romans 7 verse 18. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Now, I found this verse really helpful as a young Christian in a challenging way. As a young Christian in my late teens, probably 18 or 19, being a Christian for some years, I was struggling with the ongoing sin in my life, probably lust and pride and a few other things. And and suddenly this verse lit up for me. I suddenly realized in myself, I was no good. In myself, I couldn't do anything about it. Now, I was brought up in a Christian home. So my first becoming a Christian was a pretty mild little transfer where I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. I wanted a ticket to heaven. So I was at a meeting where the gospel was preached and I responded. And that was sincere. But I would say that was faith in Jesus. I didn't understand why I needed to repent. I didn't understand I needed to turn from myself and my own efforts. We all need to understand that we are rubbish on our own. Every one of you in this room is full of mixed motives and sin. And so am I in yourself. You needed saving. You didn't need a new set of rules to help you be a better boy or girl. That is not the gospel. The gospel is, even when you know the best and you try it, you fall short. And you do. You do. We all know we do. We manage some things. I'm not saying everything's wrong. But in ourselves, we stumble and fall. There is, must be another answer. It cannot just be we need a new set of rules. Because law doesn't change the heart. It doesn't restrain things. I want to say to you, brothers and sisters and visitors as well, it's one of the reasons I have my whole life been utterly committed to the gospel. The gospel is the only fundamental answer to our culture's problems. People need to be saved, properly saved, not given a load of Christian rules. They need to be born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. They need to understand the full deal of the proper New Testament Christian gospel. And actually, I am not against trying to have good laws to restrain things. Of course I'm not. But you can make all the laws you like and you will find there is not enough virtue in people to obey them. You will find what you often provoke is more creative ways of breaking laws. You provoke pedantic ways of getting round them. I mean, I only read this last week or so when I was, I think it was before Christmas. I thought, oh, it's another example. 
In the Netherlands, in Holland, they have legalized a lot of drugs. They've legalized cannabis and everything. And you think, well, that, that helps. That helps. No, it doesn't. They've got more of a drug problem and more violence and more drug gangs than they've had before. They've had more drug gang murders than they had before they legalized it. It just proves the point. What they, somehow it provokes things and people go worse and further and further and further. And, and, and it's not that you give up. You realize that is not the answer. The answer to a drug problem is to see people saved and delivered from sin and filled with the Spirit. So I am utterly committed to the gospel. I, if I've got any spare energy, I'll do a little bit of politics and, 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 and help for the needy. And I, I love good laws, but I know they're not the main issue. They're not. They don't solve it. They don't solve it. You won't solve climate change with laws. You'll have a go and you'll push it back a bit, but as you push it back in one area, something else will go wrong and something else will pop up. It happens all the time. It's not to say don't try because good laws do restrict evil. They do control evil. They do limit it, but they don't solve it. Amen? So I am committed to the gospel first and foremost for all of us, Christians as well. So how does the answer come through Jesus Christ our Lord? Let's finish five minutes. Let's just look at it. How does the answer come quickly and simply? Well, let's look at verse six, which was just before our reading. But now we are, this is about a Christian. Now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. That is a good summary of the Christian message. I mean, it's a little wordy if you're not familiar with it, but it's a great summary. We are released from this whole law, sin, condemnation cycle by the work of Jesus who died for us on the cross. And when he died, we died. And we died to the law. And we died to the law because the law is satisfied. The law said the wages of sin is death. Jesus bore our death in his body on the cross. We are now free from the law which held us captive because of our sin. There's nothing wrong with the law. It was our sin problem. It was just a spiral of failure and condemnation. Now we serve in the new way of the spirit, not the old way of the written code. There's one other that will just pop up. I think it probably expands it, does it? Uh, it's going back to one. No, thank you, thank you. And this is just spelling it out. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, you died to the law. You died to the law's way of working. You didn't just die to the law that had said you should die, which you did, but you came alive for a new way of living so that you may belong to another. Who do you belong to now? To him who's raised from the dead. Who's that? Jesus. You are now in a love union with Jesus. You are now in a relationship with the risen Jesus. This is very, very different from being under the law. It's a totally different way of living. My life is now, and any change in my life will come out of my relationship with Jesus Christ. Praise God. Thank God for Jesus. He has changed the whole game. He's not just ameliorated my condemnation or removed my condemnation. He's actually given me a whole new way to live. And out of that, I will bear fruit for God. 
Jesus' life in me by the Spirit will bring change. Will bring change. The law is satisfied and now I am free to follow him, to follow Jesus. And I can experience victory. I'm going to read you, as we come towards the end, I'm going to read you a few verses from Galatians and then we'll put a few verses up. We won't put the ones up just yet, thank you, Clive. I want to read a few verses from Galatians 5. That's not on the screen or anything, so just listen. Paul says, verse 16, I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Hear that. Walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit and the Spirit desires what's against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then later on he says the fruit of the Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, the fruit God brings in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The law is not against such things. This is out of a different realm. This is not, a, you'll be, of course you'll fulfill the law. You won't murder anyone because you're loving them. And it'll just go on a different level. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If you could just put it up, let's just have it in front of your eyes. Some of that summarized. Because this is how we are to live as Christians. We are to walk in the Spirit, and that is the answer to the battles of Romans 7. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Desire the Spirit against the flesh. Being a Christian means a supernatural change. The Holy Spirit comes in and begins to change you from the inside out. And the answer is not more rules. Christians always make this mistake. Whatever denomination they are, whatever group they are, they love to make rules and laws. And it only adds to the frustration and confusion. It makes people more like the Romans 7. And then they justify it and say, well, we're meant to be like Romans 7. No, we're not. We're meant to be like Galatians 5 or Romans 8. That's how we're meant to be. And that's how we can be. As we walk in the Spirit and do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So my very last one is my, the last screen. Uh, this is our text as we go forward into 2020. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's the, the band come up as I just want to settle this in your heart. You may well, like me, have gone through and continue to go through great turmoil. You might think, I don't really live like I want to as a Christian. You may feel I'm not even a Christian. You may not be. And that's great if you've understood that. And this morning, you can come to know Jesus. You may have been trying, think, oh, I've liked this church. I like things. I'll try and be a better person. Well, well done for trying, but that is not the answer. The answer is to find Jesus Christ as your saviour and Lord. Say, Lord, I, in a sense, in me, there dwells no good thing. What we've just read. So I, 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 I'm not good enough, Lord. No, you're not. But he's forgiven you and he's going to cleanse you and he's going to renew you and, re, and you can have a, a fresh start, be born again of the Spirit and begin to live a different way, belonging to Jesus, living out of your relationship with Jesus and filled with his Spirit. And now for all of us as Christians already, you so easily, we all so easily slip back into law. It is an absolutely 
I was going to say universal battle problem. I don't want a word to use. That Christians slip back into a legalistic approach. I've got to make an effort. I've got to set myself new rules. No, you've got to draw closer to Jesus. You've got to know Jesus more. You've got to understand you belong to him and he belongs to you. You've got to talk to him. You've got to live with him. You've got to want to please him. You've got to say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. I want to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Let's stand together. I want to keep in step with the Holy Spirit this year. Now, I want you to really, really take this to heart. That for this year ahead, Lord, I want to live by the Spirit and I want to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And you know, this isn't a mental exercise. This is a work of God. Keep in step with the Spirit means you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You try and follow Him. You try and let Him guide you. How should I react to this situation? How should I react to this person? How, how do I handle these temptations? Well, find out what pleases the Lord. Talk to Jesus about it. Jesus, what do I do about this? How do I work in, how do I live in this context? He will provide answers. He'll provide power. Some of the answers will be through other people. It's not only exclusively on your own, but He will show you the way and you will walk in it. Keep in step. I feel as we worship, I just think I'd love to pray for us. If you would like me to pray for you, I won't be doing it individually necessarily, but if you'd like me to pray for you to be a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit so that you might be freshly equipped to keep in step with Him this year, please come forward. Please just come out of your seats. Let's be a little more physical this morning. That's all right. You're being too physical there. Let's be a little more physical. And, and move and we're, I'm not going to we're going to ask God Lord I want to be filled with your spirit I'm going to pray a, a prayer for you all in a moment but Lord because I want to walk in the spirit in this year I want to keep in step with you I want to hear your voice saying this is the way walk in it and I want to understand Lord what it means to be in relationship with Jesus on a day to day basis because that is your hope you don't need to live like Romans 7. That is an experience that probably we all experience at times. But it's a person tussling with something which is not the answer. The answer is Jesus and the Holy Spirit that he sends and brings. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Let's just open, let's have your hands out like I've got mine because I'm, I'm joining you really. I'm not only praying for you, I'm praying with you. Lord, as we stand before you, Lord, I thank you for people showing in this small physical way that they're serious for you. We want to be serious with you, Lord. We want to please you, Father in heaven. We want to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That is our heart's desire, Lord. We want to keep in step. So come, Holy Spirit. Now come and refill us this morning. Fill every heart afresh. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Lord, fill us. Lord, melt the cold parts of our heart. Warm our hearts. Lord, clear our minds, renew our minds. Lord, we have got, we do get fuddy and foggy and we get fleshly. 
we do get fleshly Lord we acknowledge it we, we can follow our flesh we want to follow the spirit Lord we say we don't want to follow our flesh we want to follow our spirit we are human but we are not mere humans we're spirit filled new creations and we want to walk in the spirit Lord not fulfill the lust of the flesh come Holy Spirit come and fill afresh I think we'll probably sing and worship but I, I actually feel that you should stay lingering God's presence there's nothing wrong with staying standing together as we do that the Holy Spirit wants to touch a few lives perhaps in a special way you may even yourselves I feel be prompted to pray for one another and I want you to feel I feel this is a safe place this morning I believe I'm right I don't want it to be too organised. We'll keep an eye on things. But I, I think if you felt prompted to pray for someone or would ask someone, would you pray for me? Please feel free to do that, to move around. We're just going to worship for a moment, standing here and say, Holy Spirit, come. Keep setting us free. Keep filling us. You came for freedom, Jesus, to make us free from sin and free from the law. We want to live as free children.